all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Friday. I know we all are trying to at least attempt to stay cool. I don't know how successful we are at that, but at this point, I just stay inside with my air on. But today's topic is going to be hypertension. And I really picked this topic because it's come up so much. It's One, it's a passion of mine in clinic because I see it, you know, we nearly talk about blood pressure every clinic visit you come to because we check it as vital. And so, um, you know, we just kind of, you know, look at it each time you come in. But it also ends up the topic of conversation at many family get-togethers and cookouts and things of that nature. Um, And so it has come up a lot for me this summer while I've been visiting my relatives. Um, And so it always brings for an interesting debate. I get excited to talk about hypertension because I just love to share all the options because so many people are nervous or hesitant to start medications and people want to know if they need medications. So um, I think it's just a good topic for us to spend the next hour talking about, learning about, and hopefully answering any questions that you all may have. But another big reason that I like to talk about hypertension is we all know that cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death in women in every major developed country and most emerging countries. And hypertension, interestingly enough, is one of the most modifiable risk factors for heart disease. So really controlling our hypertension, we can significantly reduce our risk of ultimately developing heart disease. One of the interesting things about women in and blood pressure is, you know, when we talk about our younger ages, hypertension is something that we more so see in men. But as women age, it's something that it kind of we flip the script over about 65 women, 65 and older. That switches where we start to see elevated blood pressure in women more than we do men. So, again, across the board, hypertension uh, is a problem for men and women. Um, younger ages, more so men. And then as we age as women, it's something that we're more likely to see. So when we talk about blood pressure, the biggest question I get, what is a normal blood pressure? And in medicine, unfortunately, we have made it so confusing because over there, you know, the recommendations are constantly, constantly changing. And as I tell patients, one of the things I personally try to live by is if I know better, I should do better. 
So as studies emerge and we learn more in medicine, which we're constantly learning, we're constantly researching, we're constantly finding out more information. So that's why these numbers change, guys. It's not to give you more medicines, which is what a lot of my patients accuse me. They just changed the numbers so they could give me more medicines. But it's because we've learned that maybe over these years we have not been aggressive enough in managing people's blood pressure. And we've learned the better our blood pressure is controlled, the least likely we are to have a lot of the complications. So the numbers we used to learn about as normal blood pressure are not what we consider normal anymore because we know now that we should be reaching a lower number. So a normal good blood pressure that I tell people is that top number, also known as the systolic blood pressure, should be 120s or less. And the bottom number, I think of down, diastolic blood pressure. That's the bottom number. That's your diastolic number. And that number you want less than 80. So you want that number, you know, in the 70s or so. So for a good blood pressure for most people, I would say, you know, 110, maybe 120s for that top number, and then bottom number, 60s or 70s. It's kind of a good place to put yourself. So how do I know if I have high blood pressure? So we actually define blood pressure as that top number, the systolic number I told you, of 130 or higher, and then that bottom number as 80 or higher. So that is essentially how we define blood, high blood pressure. Not on one visit. I don't like for you to come in one time and I'm like, you got high blood pressure. It's something that we that you need to have on more than one occasion for you to have persistently elevated blood pressure before we give you the diagnosis of hypertension. Just like anything else in medicine, there's stages. So how do I know if I have mild hypertension, high, you know, significant? When should I be worried? My, the most common thing I hear is my blood pressure stroke level. Um, and so, you know, I get people that get kind of worried about that. So we talked about what a normal blood pressure is. We talked about diagnose, um, definition of hypertension. But like everything else, we stage hypertension. And why is that important? Because when we stage it, that helps us determine how aggressive we are on treatment, how, what people have time to try to get that blood pressure down and what people am I worried about that if I don't get your blood pressure down, we're really going to start running into some problems. So stage one hypertension, which people could say mild stage one, the first stage of hypertension, is if your blood pressure is between that 130 to 139, and that's the top number, systolic number, 130 to 139, and then the bottom number, the diastolic 80 to about 89. So that's stage one. Stage two, essentially, is anything higher than that. So top number greater than 140 and bottom number greater than 90. So that it puts you stage one, stage two. And so that's kind of how we stayed. We keep it simple. Got high blood pressure. Are you stage one or stage two? So as I mentioned before, it really just varies from patient to patient what your blood pressure runs. But that is kind of essentially what we decide to determine high blood pressure. Also in the past, the guidelines for high blood pressure told us once you get older, we're okay if your blood pressure runs a little higher. Even Actually, when I started practicing at UMC, fresh on to faculty in 2015, we actually told a lot of elderly patients, we're okay if your top number is up to about 150 and your bottom number is 90. That is no longer true. We want, I want your blood pressure, if you are 80 and you're out walking around buying your groceries, you know, living 
living your best life, hanging out with the grandkids. I want your blood pressure to look as good as mine. That is not the case anymore. And again, these terms are in general. I want you to talk to your doctor. Everybody's case is very different. But in general, this is what we're looking at. So no longer am I saying that you're 80 years old and you're okay with the blood pressure of 150. I want your blood pressure to look as good as mine. So if you've got a systolic blood pressure greater than 130, you have hypertension, even if you're 80, is essentially how we define that. So the other thing that comes up, you know, we talk about blood pressures and the definition of hypertension, and I have every patient that comes to me and they're like, my blood pressure is only high when I go to the doctor. That is a thing. White coat hypertension is a thing. But I tell patients, I don't know if that's a thing if you don't check your blood pressure at home. So in order for us to know that your blood pressure is only high when you go to the doctor versus when you're at home is for us to check your blood pressure at home. And so that's why I really and truly encourage my patients to check their blood pressures on a regular basis. So. White coat hypertension is a true thing. So what does that mean? That means that your blood pressure is consistently elevated when you go to the doctor, but every time you measure at home, your blood pressure is normal. And that's, a, and that's why I want you guys to bring your blood pressure numbers and readings to the doctor's office so that we can actually make that comparison for you. The other thing I encourage my patients to do is if you're having significant differences in your blood pressure at the office versus when you're at home, bring your blood pressure cuff. We have no problem putting the blood pressure cuff on seeing what we get on your blood pressure cuff and then repeating your blood pressure on our blood pressure cuff. That is an easy way to see, is it my cuff? Is it just higher when I come to the doctor? Is it high? You know, those types of things. The other thing that patients can sometimes have is what we call mast hypertension. So mast hypertension is the opposite of white coat hypertension. So those are those patients that come into the doctor's office. I don't know what it is. You come to the doctor's office calm or maybe you were on your best behavior that morning when you came to the doctor's office and your blood pressure is actually lower. But every time you go home and check your blood pressure, your blood pressure is higher. And so that's called mast hypertension. And so that is a real thing, too. And again, one of the easy ways to rule out either one of those is for you guys to start bringing your blood pressure cuffs into the doctor's office and kind of helping us determine, is it your cuff? Is it, you know, what may it be that's essentially contributing? So the thing I have a lot of people ask me is, so who gets hypertension? Does everybody have high blood pressure? Who's at risk for high blood pressure? Those types of things. So as I mentioned before, as we age, particularly women, as we age, it increases our risk of blood pressure. Over time, our blood pressure goes up. It's just one of those things. Um, as many people know, one of the modifiable risk factors we say for high blood pressure is if you're considered overweight. So being overweight does significantly increase your risk of hypertension. This is the big one. And I think this is probably the one so many of my patients struggle with is family history. If you have a, a family history significant for high blood pressure, there is a group of people, no matter what you do, your blood pressure, you know, you can do all the right things in the world. And over time, your blood pressure is high because unfortunately, we can't change our genes. I can use all the hair products in the world to have shiny, thick, beautiful hair that looks great in humidity. But I did not get those genes regardless of how many products I use, how many, how much water I drink, how much I wish for my hair to grow, with the exception of pregnancy. I had gorgeous hair. To, it was nice, thick, beautiful, you know, but then all that other stuff comes with pregnancy. But my hair looked good during that time. But again, I say all that to say is you can do all the things in the world sometimes, but genetics does take over and hypertension is one of those things, you know, so I have some of the most fit people that still end up on antihypertensive meds because their family history is so strong. 
We all know different races are at higher risk. So African-Americans are um, at higher risk of high blood pressure. We also know patients with a high sodium diet have increased risk of high blood pressure. Some patients are more salt sensitive. I have, you know, somebody can eat. My favorite is I had one patient, bag of skins. She said she had a bag of skins. Her blood pressure went so high she's never eaten skins again. But, you know, there's other people that can eat a bag of skins and nothing happens to their blood pressure. So there are some people that are more salt sensitive. But we do know high sodium sodium uptake um, can contribute. And I know this is the one that kind of sucks. Excessive alcohol consumption can lead to higher blood pressure. Now, your glass of wine, a cocktail every now and then with friends, those types of things. Yes, that's fine. But it says excessive. So a lot of alcohol consumption um, can increase your risk. Physical inactivity, that goes along with kind of that healthy lifestyle. And insufficient sleep, guys. Sleep is actually really important to us for many things. It heals our bodies on so many levels. And patients that consistently don't get enough sleep are actually at increased risk of high blood pressure as well. And it actually looks like we've already got our first caller, and we've got Valerie and Jackson. Good morning, Valerie. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Tell me what your question is this morning. My question is, um, what about people that have obstructive sleep apnea? I know one of the things that you said is that people that don't get enough sleep, that that can also contribute to their hypertension. But what if you have uh, sleep apnea and you're on your machine um, and you're complying with that? Does that also increase your hypertension? Yes, ma'am. Valerie, I'm so happy you asked that because... Obstructive sleep apnea is a huge one. And I have so many patients that, you know, have not had their sleep apnea treated and they'll come to me on three or more blood pressure medicines and are like, we just can't get this under control. And you talk to them more and realize they snore and we get them a sleep study and there it is, obstructive sleep apnea. So obstructive sleep apnea is a huge risk factor to hypertension. And a lot of our patients, sometimes we cannot get their blood pressure under control until we treat their sleep apnea. So treat Treatment of your sleep apnea and being consistent with your CPAP at night can significantly improve your blood pressure. Very good. Have you seen a difference? Question. I'm just curious. Have you been on it long enough that it's brought your blood pressure down? I have not seen a difference. I'm still struggling with mm-hmm. having episodes of, of high blood pressure, uh, and I'm very compliant you yes, know, with ma'am. my sleep apnea. But um, with my machine, but I'm still having issues with, with it being elevated. And I, one of the things you said about the family history, of course, my mom and my dad, they both have it, mm-hmm. have high hypertension. Um, but um, I'm going to go see my cardiologist, but I was going to ask you about if it's uncontrolled, um, do you recommend seeing like an endocrinologist or someone other than a cardiologist or your primary care? So, you know, interestingly enough, a lot of times in our patients and many of us in primary care or cardiology, we look at those things. So newly diagnosed hypertension, you know, oftentimes we'll get blood work that can sometimes point towards a hormonal thing. So some people can make an excess of a hormone called aldosterone um, and we can see different changes in your uh, some numbers on your chemistry, we call it, that might point towards that. Um, Some people, when we start uh, before 
before we start on blood pressure medicine, we will oftentimes check your thyroid level because you're exactly right. If you've got hyperthyroidism or some type of abnormality like that, then um, we make sure we treat that as we're treating your blood pressure. So a lot of times your cardiologist or primary care doctor will do blood work that can point you in directions of some of those uh, issues that involve your endocrine system that might need to be corrected before we treat it. So usually for a newly diagnosed a high blood pressure patient, you should be getting some blood work done and some urine studies done because sometimes there's things going on in your urine that could point to a kidney problem causing your elevated blood pressure. So we look at all these different things that can be contributing before we just kind of start medicines on people and making sure that we're treating the right thing and not just, you know, putting a Band-Aid on that blood pressure. So, you know, your primary care and your heart doctor are a great place to start for managing your blood pressure. And if we see something we're worried about, we usually get you to the person you need to see. Gotcha. Good information. Thank you so very much. I was going to ask you, too, about medications because I've, I've had high blood pressure for many, many years. Yes, ma'am. I'm that I'm still having a difficult time getting it really under control. To the numbers that you um, recommended um, in the opening piece, so... Um, what do you what do you think that I need to be on as far as like medications like a beta blocker or something that's going to help protect my kidneys from from damage? Um, I can't really take diuretics because I'm allergic to uh, LASIK. Mm-hmm. So, um, what would So that is an excellent question. And that's why I tell people to kind of talk to your doctors, because everybody's situation is very different. And you hit again, Valerie, excellent, all the high points to that. So deciding on a medication for a patient has so many factors. So like you said, you know, if you have kidney disease or diabetes, we might consider an ACE inhibitor or or an ARB, lisinopril, losartan, Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, As you mentioned, you know, if you are are a person that, uh, you know, might have gout, then I w- might have to avoid certain kind of high blood pressure medicines in you, like our thiazide diuretics, like hydrochlorothiazide. Um, you know, so it really, if you've got heart problems or you've got palpitations, um, a beta blocker mm-hmm. might be a great option for, for you. Um, if you're a woman that's trying to get pregnant, you know, I might avoid certain medicines as well. Um, and so African-Americans, we know that calcium channel blockers are an excellent blood pressure medicine for us. So you'll hear a lot of people talk about amylodipine or nifedipine. And you're like, why is my doctor always trying to give me that? It's because, you know, it might be a characteristic about you that it's been shown that that's a good medicine for blood pressure control. I have patients, even if you have acne, you know, I have some women that have acne. Spironolactone is actually a blood pressure medicine that can help your acne and help your blood pressure. So there are so many things that you can look at when picking a blood pressure medicine for a patient. So it's a great discussion to have with your doctor and that's why we kind of look at everything and so I tell patients all the time they're like well my friend didn't get started on that medicine I'm like well everybody's situation you know if you've got chronic migraines beta blockers are actually a pretty good option for you so there are so many things that help us decide what blood pressure medicine so it's kind of a hard question to answer Um, but just understand that that there are so many factors that play into which ones we may choose gotcha good information I am going to take my blood pressure cuff with me when I go see my cardiologist for my next visit because I thought that was really good information because I'm always thinking it's always running high when I'm at home and then I do have the white coat syndrome when I go to the doctor. Um, So I'm going to use that. Yes, ma'am. Hopefully I'll have a good checkup. 
Yes. Well, I hope you do, too, as well, Valerie. And thank you so much for calling this morning. Absolutely. Thank you for everything that you do. I appreciate you so much. Yes, ma'am. You have a good one. And so Valerie did bring up a lot of great points. So as we talk about blood pressure, so some people do have other causes for their blood pressure. So primary hypertension means that I've kind of ruled out all other causes of your blood pressure and you kind of have isolated blood pressure um, as your cause. But there's also secondary causes. And that was kind of what Valerie alluded towards. So obstructive sleep apnea can have you can have elevated blood pressure, hyperthyroidism. You can have elevated blood pressure. And, and oftentimes things that we take medications we take can raise your blood pressure. So that's why a lot of our patients, you know, if you've got chronic knee pain or chronic back pain and we're having a hard time controlling your blood pressure and you take a lot of Aleve or ibuprofen, Motrin is the other name, or NSAIDs is what we call those medications. NSAIDs can be notorious for raising some patients' blood pressure. Now, if your knee is hurting you pretty bad and NSAIDs is what hurt, it was what helps, doing that for a couple of days to get that pain under control can definitely be fine. But chronically looking at it, you know, um, those medications can sometimes raise blood pressure. For women, your oral contraceptive pills, um, uh, your, or other, other words, your birth control, particularly those with higher doses of estrogen, can raise your blood pressure. Some antidepressants, many of our patients that are chronically on steroids, it can affect their blood pressure. Those, you know, shots you get for your sinus infection can raise your blood pressure. So I'll get people that are like, I was sick and my blood pressure was so high. So interestingly enough, um, you know, when you get that Decadron shot or steroids for a sinus infection or something of that nature, that can raise your blood pressure, as well as the decongestants that we take to make ourselves feel better. So anytime you've got your cold medications and it says it's got that decongestant in there, understand that that can definitely raise your blood pressure as well. So be mindful if some of the medications you're taking over the counter or what your doctors prescribe, those all those things can ultimately interfere with your blood pressure. And I know people hate to hear this coffee can be notorious. You have that cough of coffee, energy drinks that are full of caffeine. Those things all can raise our blood pressure. And we all know smoking can do it. And as I mentioned before, alcohol. So there are lots of things, and we call it lifestyle changes, that we can make that can significantly improve our blood pressure even before we start talking about adding some patients on medication. So just be mindful when you, you you go to the doctor, you start having some elevated blood pressures or you're trying to get your blood pressures under control. I always tell my patients, when you leave this clinic, I just want you to reflect. You don't have to tell me everything you're doing. I know patients don't want to tell me everything they're doing, but all when you leave, I want you to think about what you're doing and think about what you can change that can ultimately help your blood pressure outside of medications. Because people are right. There are some people that don't need medicines. But again, that is a conversation you want to make sure that you're having with your physician if you're in a position where you can make some lifestyle changes to help your blood pressure versus if you're at a, at a high enough level that we really seriously need to be considering medications. The other common question I get is, when do I check my blood pressure? How do I check my blood pressure? So that plays a big role. So you want to make sure, just like I was telling Valerie, you know, and all of you guys that are listening, you can always take your blood pressure cuff to the doctor's office. We can help you figure out how to use it. We can compare your blood pressure cuff to our blood pressure cuff um, when you come in. Uh, ideally, some people say, when is the best time of day to check my blood pressure? My answer to my patients is when you remember. I'd rather have some 
some numbers than no numbers at all. So, you know, ideally for a lot of patients is first thing in the morning. Um, but you want to make sure that you're relaxed when you do it. Now, if you're waking up in the morning, panic, stressed about your day, we probably should not be checking our blood pressure. But you want to be, you know, essentially in a fairly relaxed setting, but not like feet on the floor, check my blood pressure, like give yourself a little bit of time to go. Uh, Don't do it after that first cup of coffee. Like I told you, it probably will be high. If you had that morning cigarette, it's probably going to be high. Um, So make sure that you're waiting till you're fairly calm. Make sure that your arm is in the right position when you're taking your blood pressure. So I tell people, sit at your kitchen chair. Don't sit at the edge of the bed where your feet are dangling off the bed. That's not an accurate blood pressure reading. So I tell people, maybe go to your kitchen, sit at the table, sit at a chair, Feet flat on the floor. Prop that arm up on the table. We like for your arms to be nice and at your heart's level when you're checking your blood pressure. Um, don't put your, we want that blood pressure cuff over your bare skin. Don't put it over your robe or your long sleeve shirt or over whatever clothing that you might have and relax and take your blood pressure that morning. Um, I get a lot of questions about wrist blood pressure cuff versus the arm cuff. We prefer the arm cuff. It's more accurate. Um, Actually, the American Heart Association does not like the wrist cuff and kind of uh, recommends against it. However, if your arm cuff is not fitting your arm appropriately, then of course I want you to use the wrist one because that gives us, you know, probably a better idea versus your cuff on your arm not fitting appropriately. On that wrist one, you want to make sure it's over that radial artery. So that's where you feel your pulse in your wrist or that artery over there by your thumb um, when you're checking the wrist blood pressure. But again, we prefer the ones in the arm versus the wrist. And as I've said before on other shows, I don't want you married to your blood pressure cuff. I don't want you checking your blood pressure all day, every day. If it causes you significant anxiety, a couple of times a week is perfectly fine. Um, And if it, you know, is consistently high, you may want to check it every day just to get an idea if that day was just an off day or if your blood pressure has been running a little bit higher. But if the only time you can remember to check your blood pressure is before you go to bed at night, I'll take it versus no blood pressure readings at all because I really want to know what you guys' blood pressures are doing at home because it really helps me decide how we manage you in the clinic. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And we have been spending this morning talking about hypertension or high blood pressure. How do we diagnose it? Um, what are some risk factors? And um, ultimately, what are uh, some other causes of, of high blood pressure that people might be looking for? So now we've your doctors told you your blood pressure is elevated or you've got some newly diagnosed hypertension. And, and the common question I get is, so what do we do? So a lot of our patients, if you've got borderline hypertension or that stage one hypertension that I told you about, it is reasonable for patients to try what we call some lifestyle modifications and really seeing if we can get our blood pressure down just from some changes that we make. And I tell patients, there is actually a diet that was designed just for blood pressure. So when you hear doctors talk about the DASH diet, 
DASH actually stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. So the DASH diet was exclusively designed for management of hypertension. And it's a wonderful, it's kind of telling us how to eat healthy. So lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, whole grains, low-fat dairy, looking our meats. We want to look at fish and poultry, nuts and beans, limiting our sugar, red meat, and added fats. And as I said limiting so we can have it every now and then just not all the time and I love the DASH diet because a lot of studies have been done on the DASH diet and if you consistently follow the DASH diet we usually tell people about three to six months of a lifestyle modification for us to see some significant change patients blood pressure dropped 11 points for that top number on average. Not everybody's going to get the 11 point drop, but on average, about 11 points for that top number or systolic number and six points for the diastolic, the bottom number. That is just with changing our diet. And even in that study, a lot of those patients, the scale did not always change, but they saw the changes in that blood pressure. So if you're listening, Google Dash Diet is a great place to start. It's a great guideline and it's also involves we also want to limit our sodium less to two than two grams so these are some lifestyle changes that you can make that can help bring down your blood pressure even before starting a medication and 11 and six points that's high guys that's equivalent to a blood pressure medicine so making those changes in your life can really help a lot of patients with their blood pressure again not one size fits all everybody's different but in general the dash diet is a great place to start and i actually have a caller i have diane in philadelphia mississippi good morning diane good morning how are you this morning I'm good, thank you. Good, so tell um, me your question. Well, I was listening to you about the difference between the arm and the wrist, um, the blood pressure measure, and I'll tell you the truth. I have fat arms, and it hurts me, like, really bad. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they put it on, like, right in the middle of my arm, like under my elbow and that area. Is that all right? So, again, it's one of those situations where it's not ideal, to be honest. But if it's causing you discomfort or pain for it to be up on the arm, you know, the understanding is that that's not going to be the most accurate reading when you when you bring it down a little bit further, kind of more around the elbow region. But it can give us a general idea of where you land. And so that actually becomes the reason why I do have quite a few patients outside of convenience, like the wrist one is easy as portable, put on your wrist. But I do have some patients that say that their blood pressure cuff causes significant significant discomfort. And so in those cases, I'm okay with you doing the wrist one. Um, I don't have a comparison of if you put the cuff around your elbow versus the wrist, what might be a more accurate measure. Um, but I do know that that the, the reality is, is we're not going to have the most accurate measurement if we don't have the cuff in the right location. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, do ma'am. Do they have like larger cuffs or that they don't? They do. So actually, if you look on Amazon, you can get the ones that have the larger arm cuff size. And so you can get them and they have regular um, and larges and sometimes the uh, extra large. So if you go some, I, I can't always say they have it at the pharmacies, but you can find the larger cuffs online. Okay, well, thank you. That answered my question. Yes, ma'am. You have a good one. You too. All right. Bye. 
And so as I was mentioning uh, about how do we manage blood pressure, so... Uh, one, as I mentioned, a diet, the diet, the dash diet is just a great way to start. And it's all it really involves just kind of change healthy eating, limiting a lot of those processed foods and snacks and things high in sodium and looking towards more lean meats, um, as I mentioned, and fruits and vegetables. And so you can get a significant improvement just by doing those things. The other thing I get a lot of patients ask me about and what really kind of sparked the, the, the conversation at our family get together was the herbs what herbs like you know I have a lot of patients that are like I just do not believe in medications and I want to try some all natural remedies so my first thing and foremost is I feel the most natural remedy is changing our lifestyle so eating healthy eating not extra supplements eating healthy limiting our sodium intake and adding some aerobic exercise so us getting out and walking I tell everybody you don't have to go run a marathon you don't have to join an expensive gym if you can get out in your neighborhood and walk I always use my mom as the example she loves her some walk away the pounds so if it is raining outside she literally uses an old DVD player puts her tape in and and watches Leslie there's a one minute there there's a like mile walk, a three mile walk, a five mile walk, and she does it in her living room. So when she can't get out on the track, and my mom wakes up at like five thirty in the morning, so she's one of those people that's walking on the track. Uh, when she can't get out, she is walking away the pound. So there's lots of ways for us to incorporate some aerobic exercise. Even my patients that have a lot of orthopedic issues, back pain, knee pain, those types of things, those patients I really highly recommend doing some water therapy or water aerobics where you're taking some of the pressure off. I just want to get my patients moving. So the most natural way for my patients that are not wanting meds, let's eat healthy and let's try to get moving. And we know that that works because the studies have shown in the DASH diet that we can get things equivalent to a blood pressure medication if we can make some of those lifestyle changes and be consistent. My advice on the lifestyle changes is when you're talking about meal planning and those types of things, you have to plan. So the weeks that I don't sit down and think about what my family's going to have for dinner are the weeks where I get home and I'm like, forget it, DoorDash. So for the longest, I'm pretty sure I was keeping DoorDash in business that, yeah, it was kind of embarrassing the number of times, patient, uh, not patients, that the DoorDash people were coming. And, and two, my bill did not like it as well because it gets really expensive to start ordering out. But to be successful involves planning. So I tell People, just like you're planning out your day, st plan your meals out. Sit down, you go grocery shopping, trying to decide what you can do. And that, to me, those are the most successful patients. And even in my life, when I am on, when I am focused and I'm working on eating healthy, it's hard to do it on a whim. I plan out our dinners, I plan out breakfast, all those things for the week. Um, and you can, you'll be surprised at what that does for you. And for people I know that are busy and working multiple jobs and those types of things, it becomes challenging. But make yourself what I call realistic goals. So you may not be able to plan out dinner Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but you could say to yourself for the next couple of months, I'm going to make sure I cook or do something healthy at home on Monday and Wednesday. Maybe that's your shorter day of the week or your less busy day. But start small and work your way up and you'll be surprised at what changes you can make just by making those differences. But 
Anyway, I got a little off topic when I was thinking. (laughs) But so when we're thinking about patients that are talking about what are some herbal options. So there's been a lot of things that have shown that garlic supplements or increasing garlic in your diet can help with blood pressure. I've seen a lot of patients that have told me they've had great success with lowering their blood pressure with garlic. Many of these things we just haven't consistently studied or been able to consistently say work, but they don't they're not harmful to my patients. So I say, why not? Sure, take a garlic. Let's see if that helps your blood pressure. I have a lot of patients that beets. Beets really beets can naturally, if you eat more beets, can help with your blood pressure. But I have people that beetroot juice is something that doesn't sound great to me, but I have some patients that swear by it. You know, parsley, basil, ginger, cinnamon, you know, a lot of these different supplements. I tell people, why not try it? If it helps your blood pressure, I don't have a problem with um, you trying some all natural remedies. Magnesium is another big one. Magnesium is kind of a cool supplement. And interestingly, it helps some patients with blood pressure. It can help patients with chronic migraines. It can help patients with constipation. So again, if don't just start slamming down the magnesium. Talk to your talk to your doctor because depending on what your other medical problems are, magnesium supplements may not be the best for you. But magnesium can actually help with all those things, including blood pressure. So there are some herbal um, supplements and things of that nature that can be helpful. One thing that I have so many people live by, and my mom's gonna just love how much I bring her up in this episode, but uh, is your apple cider vinegar. So I'm sorry, people, but the, the studies have not consistently shown that apple cider vinegar helps with blood pressure. Now, it also has not shown that apple cider vinegar is harmful. So if you feel that apple cider vinegar is helping with your blood pressure, again, it's one of those things I say, sure, keep it going. I have no problem with you doing the apple cider vinegar. Again, talk this over with your doctor, but nine times out of 10, all these supplements that I have mentioned are not harmful um, for patients. And if you are seeing some blood pressure benefit, I have no problem with you trying those, uh, those type of supplements as well. So we have spent this past hour talking about blood pressure. So just as a quick reminder to everybody that uh, high blood pressure or hypertension, the diagnosis of hypertension is if you have a persistently elevated systolic blood pressure of 130 or higher for the top number, that's systolic, or 80 or higher for the bottom number, diastolic. And there are stages to that. Stage one is the 130 over 80 or higher. And stage two is the 140 or 90 or higher. And we've talked about lots of great things, some lifestyle modifications that we can make to control our blood pressure um, and just some options uh, that we can consider before um, considering medications. Now, I say that to say, so my stage one hypertensions are a lot of my patients that I usually can get under control with lifestyle modifications and not necessarily requiring medications. But usually by the time you get to stage two, or I tell patients you're persistently running in the 160s, those are patients that oftentimes I will use medicine so we can kind of get things under control. And then after that, with the lifestyle modifications, my hope is maybe we can consider coming off of medicines. But when you're coming in the clinic and, or, and you're checking at home, you're persistently 160s, 180s for that top number or 100s for that bottom number. Sometimes it's just good to start getting things under control while doing the lifestyle modifications and hopefully can work our way to possibly coming off of some of those medicines. So looks like we've got another caller we've got john who's on the road hey john how are you this morning i'm good how are you what's your question john um my wife recently passed from cancer but she had a problem 
taking her blood pressure that I think a lot of people might have. Her upper arm up by the shoulder was much larger than the area around her elbow. Mm-hmm. So every time we would try to put the blood pressure cuff on her, um, as you're trying to tighten it at all, it goes at an angle. It's one of those cuffs that's got like the D-ring in it, so you stick your arm in it and then pull it tight. Yep, sir. Um, and I'm not sure we ever got an adequate blood pressure reading off of her. Um, you know, you were talking about uh, meal planning earlier. My son and daughter-in-law uh, have one of those meal delivery programs. I don't know what it is, but I was looking up uh, meals the other day because I'm type 2 diabetic, mm-hmm. and so I'm looking for, for meals for diabetics. But a lot of those programs where you can order meals have programs for those kinds of things. So I'm sure they have a, a meal that is you know low sodium and those kind of things. So anyway, go ahead. Yes, sir. So so both of your questions. John, you've got a great question. And I tell everybody, you know, kind of before, not one size fits all. And a lot of our uh, kind of cancer patients and things like that, particularly, you bring up a great point. If you've had lymph nodes removed or things of that nature that can kind of interfere uh, with the drainage of the veins and things like that in your arm, um, or even some of our patients that may have dialysis and have grafts in their arms, um, you're, you, you can't check your blood pressure in your arm. So in the most ideal situations we like to get it in their arm but if we can't then we just have to do do the best we can with what we've got if that makes sense so you're right it may not always be the most accurate blood pressure but you can get a general idea of what that person's blood pressure runs on average if that makes sense so if you're keeping track and you're consistent with the way that you're measuring it you know if there's a significant fluctuation in it and that might be a case where again as I said risk is not ideal but that might be all we have because we do have some patients where we take we we have thigh blood pressure cuffs in clinic where we can sometimes take our patient's blood pressure on their thigh so there is oftentimes some patients that we can't do the arm like you said um, so we do have some um, alternatives to that. Um, to the second question, yes, meal prepping, you know, the nice thing about those meal planning programs, you're exactly right. You can get heart healthy ones, low sodium ones. A lot of them are. Um, and the nice thing about those meal preps is they portion control you. They you, you can't go get a second serving because you've eaten the whole serving. So a lot of people have great success with those because it portion controls as well. So not only are you kind of getting a healthy, you know, meal and most of them, uh, it also controls the portion as well. So you're right. They're, those services are great. The only thing, the only caveat to some of those, as I tell people, be mindful in general, because I did one of them for a while. And then I realized, man, all of these have pasta in them. The ones that are for your kids, they're the easiest thing to do for a huge family. So just be mindful of the variety and the types of, of foods that are in those meal prep, prep programs. But for a lot of my patients, those meals are better than what we were doing before. So I, I take that pasta over the cheeseburger and fries from McDonald's so um, uh, but thank you John those are both great points but you're right there are so many of those programs out there for patients that don't have the time to plan and you know can have a prepackaged meal as well yep thank you thank you John you have a great day you too bye bye all right so just as I mentioned before just I want to 
just highlight some take-home points. So I always want my patients, first and foremost, to make sure that you're talking to your doctor about your medications. And we had a great conversation this morning that I didn't really get a chance to dive in all the different types of blood pressure medicines. Um, But there's lots of different options. But the biggest thing that I tried to reiterate to my family as we have these whole debates about blood pressure and blood pressure medicines and side effects of blood pressure medicines, you're right, guys. You know, they're all medicines that we take have the potential of side effects. And I want to remind people that everybody's body is different. Everybody's situation is different. Everyone's, you know, genetic makeup is different. So what works for one person may not always work for you. But I always just want to make sure that you're keeping that communication open with your doctors. If you're started on a new medication, it's not agreeing with your body. This is the one thing I beg all my patients to call me. A lot of times we can make some changes in between the visit. I get so sad when a medicine didn't work out for my patient and they come back three months later and they're like, oh, I'd stop that two weeks after I saw you. And I'm like, just call me. You know, there's sometimes we can make adjustments over the phone. Um, There are things that we can do in between visits to kind of help manage um, those things or some symptoms that you may have um, with your medication. So never, never hesitate to just have an open, you know, conversation with your doctor. If something's bothering you, if it's, you know, causing you a lot of issues, let us know. You know, we don't know oftentimes unless you tell us. If you don't tell me why you're not taking the medicine, I can't help you fix the problem. So make sure that we're always talking to our doctors. You know, I love my patients that read and come with their questions and, you know, their concerns. And we can talk about why something might be a great option for you, not such a great option for you. So my take-home points for patients today is, you know, make sure you're going to your regular doctor checkups, checking if you've got elevated blood pressure or, or seen elevated blood pressure on those visits, start checking your blood pressures consistently at home. Don't wait the week before you see me. I don't know if your blood pressure's been running high for the week before you saw me or the past six months. So, you know, it's okay to check your blood pressure kind of consistently um, throughout. If there's a difference between, bring your cuff to the clinic. We're excited to compare the difference and kind of help you um, with those things as well. So just make sure blood pressure, it can be it can be treatable. It's it's something many of us can live with. And I want people to just be talking with their doctors about their options um, for managing it and what we can do to manage it. I've truly enjoyed hanging out with you guys this morning. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health. It's a production of the Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.